Many entrepreneurs and influencers often struggle to attract people to their work. And what they typically think they need to do is launch into all sorts of information about themselves and try to create as much value as they can by cramming in as much about themselves as they can. But effective communication values the recipient over the sender. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Well, welcome back to SaaS Fuel. I am your host, Jeff Maines. In case you missed it, last week's episode was a preview of what is to come and a little bit about me and my background and how this podcast came about. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I highly recommend you jump back and check it out as well. Our guest this week is Neil Gordon. Neil is an expert at helping entrepreneurs attract high-level clients, increase their revenue, including speaking fees, and elevate their status to be seen on shows like Ellen and Dr. Oz. Previously, Neil worked on the editorial staff at Penguin Random House, where he worked with New York Times bestselling authors. Today, we're having a conversation with Neil about one of the most important skills to attract high-level clients for your SaaS business, and that is how to talk about your company and yourself in a way that's engaging, prompts curiosity from other people instead of the old, tired elevator pitch that makes people squirm and look for the exit. So Neil will help us together craft a message that intrigues and engages prospects so they say, oh, tell me more. This week's episode is brought to you by Champion Leadership Group. Champion Leadership Group helps B2B SaaS entrepreneurs successfully cross Death Valley. Did you know that only one in 40,000 companies grows to 10 million in revenue? The rest either stay small or die along the trail. Champion Leadership Group is on a mission to solve that and help SaaS founders grow to 10 million and well beyond through a unique proven process that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported so that SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs achieve sustained, profitable growth, positively impact their community, and enjoy the freedom that they became an entrepreneur for in the first place. To learn more about accelerating SaaS growth and for free growth tools, visit championleadership.com. Okay, let's jump into this conversation with Neil and crafting a brand message that engages and intrigues. Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today is Neil Gordon, who helps entrepreneurs find their brand voice and craft a message that quickly connects with ideal clients. Today, Neil is going to help us craft an elevator pitch that gives people chills in under 20 seconds. So welcome to SaaS Fuel, Neil. Thanks very much for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. Love to, to hear a little bit more about your background. And uh, you know, how did you end up you know, where you are today? Because I have a background in book publishing, I used to work at Penguin as an editor. And because of my work as a ghostwriter of nonfiction books and all of that, the next thing I'm supposed to say, Jeff, is that 
I was a really bookish kid and I just always had my face in a book and I was constantly reading and loved words and language from a very early age and went to some fancy school as an English major. And none of that is true. I am so completely the opposite of the kind of person who becomes a word person, at least based on my background, in that I hated reading growing up. And my reading comprehension ability was really high when I was a small child. Like in first grade, I was tested in the 99th percentile for reading comprehension. But by seventh grade, I was in the 54th percentile. And the first time I took the SATs in high school, I got a 330 verbal score, which put me in the fifth percentile. And so slowly my, my reading capacity just melted away. And yet I still, I was good at school. So I got good grades. I graduated from high school with an A minus average and went to school and I studied theater where I didn't really have to read a whole lot and didn't have to write a lot of papers and didn't read the things I was assigned to read anyway. And still graduated with a 3.5. All the while, there's just nothing going on upstairs. I'm just kind of making my way through almost in a performative way. And finally, toward the end of college, a buddy of mine started introducing me to some light science fiction kind of books, just fun-loving books that are just for entertainment purposes. And I started to read them, and I started to get into them. And by the time I graduated from college and moved to New York City, I was in need of some kind of escape. Like I hated the city at first and I hated the subways in particular. So that same friend of mine recommended a novel called A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. And I read this novel. I felt so confronted by everything I had believed and thought to be true about life up until that point. And just the way that John Irving wrote that novel, it just shattered my worldview. And I went through this really angsty, what's it all mean kind of thing. So many of us go through that in our 20s anyway, but I went through that and just read everything I could find by John Irving, read a whole bunch of other books as well, all the while just trying to figure out how could the written word have so, in language in general, how could it have so profoundly impacted me? And on the other side of that, within a couple of years of that transformation, I got an editorial job at Penguin and that set me on a new path. That's pretty amazing going from from 330 to to just loving that and moving into to helping best selling authors. Yeah. Yeah, New York Times best selling authors at that. I mean, this is like yes. not just some yes. some Joe job that looks like it's publishing. It was like at the center of publishing and one of the biggest publishers in the world. Definitely. So it really all started with the, the power of words and uh, and the the transformative message that I guess for you started with John Irving. Yeah, yeah, it just started with that inquiry as to what is it that makes some language more effective than others? And how can we ultimately use that language as a way? I mean, this wasn't necessarily what I was asking as a 23 year old, but like the larger question that I would go on to ask is how can we use language in a way to influence others, but because of the way I like to see the world, not by manipulating them and persuading everyone in a way of everyone feels like they need a shower afterwards, but persuading people with heart. Right. I like to say my work is about persuasion without everyone needing a shower afterward. That's a great way to do it. Yeah. So the power of words again, right there, you being able to persuade without, without needing a shower afterwards. Cause I think we've all been in those conversations where you walk away and you think you really do need one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's just kind of amazing. And I feel like what we've gone through the last couple of years and the hunger people have for connection in a way they might have previously taken for granted might make more and more people sensitive to those kinds of manipulative conversations or presentations and whatnot. It's, it's hard to say for sure. And there'll always be people who are susceptible to those kinds of things, I guess. But I feel like more and more of us are starting to crave something more genuine and authentic. Absolutely. So tell me, how do you, how do you translate that to the, the entrepreneurial world and help them connect with their ideal clients in a way that is genuine? When somebody is, let's say, at a, at a networking event kind of thing, right? Or it's like a provisor's meeting or it's Business Networking International or even just a mixer of some kind. You and I have been to shared, both been to some of the same mixers, having known each other before this and all of that, right? And so we're right. talking about what we do and everything like that. Someone will ask us, what do you do? And what most of us do in response to that question is just say what we do. Why wouldn't we just ask the question, answer the question we were just asked, right? Right, right. Now, this isn't, this isn't like it's the worst thing of all time ever, but it's missing an opportunity. And so your original question was, how can we use this kind of, how can we change our approach to language so as to persuade others to be more genuine, to, to make this kind of connection? Right. And... When we think about someone at a networking event, at the, at the, in their heart of hearts, are they really looking to find out what other people do for a living? Or are most of them looking to achieve something else? Maybe they're looking to get clients. Maybe they have a problem in their business and they're trying to find a person to help them to solve it. Or maybe they are just there because someone's strong on them and they're just trying to survive several awkward conversations before they can tell their friend, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm done enough. I'm, I've got to go. Or maybe they're just looking to have some kind of connection in general, right? And it doesn't even have as much to do with business. Maybe they're just looking to connect with other humans. But at the heart of it, that question of what do you do, there's some other unspoken need. And so my larger approach to all of this is to foster a connection with the other person to help draw them in and help them to become invested in our world while still talking about our stuff. Like it, it's kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a magic trick in that there's a way to connect them to us without manipulating them. And in the end, still be able to answer the, what do you do question? And so basically it's, it's a little four part elevator pitch. Now I don't really like the term elevator pitch and I'll offer the term I prefer in a moment. When I was at a happy hour a couple of years ago, and it was a precursor to a big conference that we were all going to attend the following day, I was in, I was one of the early arrivals and we were all standing in one big circle just talking. And the, the ringleader of the happy hour just turned to me and said, what do you do, Neil? So there's the question, right? What do you do? And I started talking. And about 15 seconds into it, everyone interrupted me and started talking amongst themselves. Now, it sounds like they were all rude and they were all being inconsiderate of me answering my question, but it was actually a huge victory. 
what I started with was saying many entrepreneurs and influencers often struggle to attract people to their work. And what they typically think they need to do is launch into all sorts of information about themselves and try to create as much value as they can by cramming in as much about themselves as they can. But effective communication values the recipient over the sender. That's gold in itself right there. That's gold in itself. Exactly, Jeff. Yes. Right? And that's when they interrupted me. <laughs> they started talking about the, amongst themselves. They said, oh, that's so true. You really got to make it about the other person and blah, 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 blah. That sort of thing, right? And so in those 15 seconds just now that I demonstrated to you in real time, I'm not sure how many seconds it was, but let's say for argument's sake, it was about 15 seconds, right? I broke down three parts of the four-part elevator pitch that led to that interruption and led to all of that excitement in the circle. And the first part is just starting with a problem that other people care about solving, right? What I said was influencers and entrepreneurs are looking to attract other people to their vision, to their work, right? And that's just based on the idea that people are most likely to embrace a solution when it's provided within the context of a problem they care about solving. I mean, Bill Gates said in 96 that content is king, and he very much became right about that. But what if we amended that and changed a letter and instead said context is king? The idea is to create context to get people invested in our world. So we start with the problem that they care about solving. And then the next part of that little bit was setting up the typical solutions. People launch into their stuff and they talk all about their stuff, right? And then that steers people into the sense that they are not going to be able to solve the problem because we've steered them astray. We've said, and this is what we typically do. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't work. And then we hit them with what I call a silver bullet, which is like a one sentence encapsulation of your secret sauce. I said, effective communication values the recipient over the sender. And so the great irony here is I've just been on this huge, long monologue. I actually usually, when I, when I speak on a podcast, I like to put in breaks, but I'm just like, all right, I'm just going for it. And maybe, maybe Jeff is going to be okay with this, but, Absolutely. but and, our, and our listeners, because honestly, I was like, dude, seriously, you just talk for a really long time, but I wanted just to get all of that in so that you could see what the larger structure was. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially changing content to context. Because with, without having that context, there's really no place for the, the content. Exactly. So it's really understanding. But, but coming at it from that perspective of looking at it from the recipient's point of view and, and starting with them instead of starting with yourself, even though the question is, what do you do? Um, making it about them really draws them in. Exactly. So I like that. You draw them in. They get invested in wanting to solve the problem. And then you hit them with your secret sauce. This is how you solve the problem. This is the recipe for success. And that's why they all got excited in that circle that day. And you even, you just said yourself in real time, and this wasn't planned. You said, oh, that's gold right there. Right, right. right. That's the power of that secret sauce-like statement, the thing that I call the silver bullet. The silver bullet. Yeah. I like that. So, and how does somebody get to that point where they, they create that silver bullet? Do they back into it? Do they, they need to understand their audience and what they care about or how, you know, what is the, the way that they would create that? 
You know, it's funny that you you asked the question, do they back into it? Because honestly, Jeff, I don't know if this was a conscious choice on your part, but when we look at your book, Small Fish, Big Pond, and I'm sure you'll be okay with me plugging your book on this show. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be, right? And so very early on in the book, and you have this highlighted in the text version, if you have the audio version, then you have the text version. And you say, and it's highlighted in this big gray box, the only true value is that which is assigned in the mind of your ideal client. It's absolutely true. Right? And that's, that's very much your truth because, look, you highlighted it in your book and it's very early on in the book. And that's a silver bullet. And so I, I, I want everyone to recognize Jeff did not have that conversation about his silver bullet with me before writing it. I didn't know Jeff when he wrote this book. And so... That winds up being a good example of sometimes people back into their secret sauce, right? Sometimes they say a silver bullet without knowing that's what they did. I'm guessing you didn't say, I'm going to write a silver bullet for this. And, and it's going to be, <laughs> I mean, you saw the value of it, right? But you saw the value in it. You was like, this is, yes. this is a thing I really want to get across to the reader. So there is that and, and 46 of the 50 best not best, but most popular TED Talks have a silver bullet and best-selling nonfiction books. When you read them on the Kindle, it's the most highlighted or one of the most highlighted passages in the book. Like Yuval Noah Harari has a silver bullet that I might need to paraphrase a bit. He said, large groups of strangers can cooperate when they believe in a common myth. And so that's highlighted as of now, I think about 33,000 times in, in the wow. Kindle. So 33,000 people, it's not that that many people read the book. I mean, who knows how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people have read that book by now, but 33,000 took time out of their reading to highlight it. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Even selling three 33,000 books is almost unheard of. So all that's to say that yes, backing into it does happen, but I, I can offer a simple exercise to help people to find their silver bullet if that feels aligned. Absolutely. That would be great. Uh, a lot of the, the clients that I work with, super, super smart. A lot of them come from a technical background. Yeah. So sales and marketing is a little bit foreign. It's not something that they, they've grown up with. And so you know, doing something like this or coming up with a statement is, is super important. It's really impactful. You know, a, a lot of times at events, you know, we've been to a lot of them where you, know, you ask people what they do and they tell you and you walk away and you have absolutely no idea you know, what it is that they do. After right. that, so being able to to right. craft that message, I think, is really key to helping other people understand. But then be able to to refer to you know when when an opportunity comes up to be able to make a connection that is significant because they really understand what you do and how you help people. Yeah. So I think that would be really really helpful uh, for the audience to to kind of go in and, and what does that look like? Yeah, and it's very true what you just said, and especially when it comes to people with a technical background, because they are brilliant at what they do, and then it's a matter of taking that brilliance and adapting it to those who aren't on that level. And right, so right. The, I'm sure some of our listeners, and maybe even you as well, Jeff, might remember the film Moneyball from, sure. from a handful, of, like probably about, about 10 years ago now. And it stars Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and tells the story of the Oakland A's, the baseball team in the early 2000s, and how they broke the American League record for the most consecutive wins. And Brad Pitt's based on a real life person named Billy Bean, who's the general manager of the team. And Jonah plays a fictional character. And 
early in the movie, they're having a conversation in a parking garage, I believe, where Jonah just says to him that there is an epidemic failure in how most baseball teams are managing their teams. And what they think they need to do is buy players. But what they really need to do is buy wins. And to buy wins, you need to buy runs. And so the essential idea he says there is the way that you build a baseball team is not to buy players, but to buy runs. And that becomes a silver bullet-like statement for Moneyball. It's this big, sophisticated economic theory. And yet Jonah's character distills it down to that one idea, right? And so we can use that not just as an example of a very lucid silver bullet-like concept, but it also becomes the basis of a really handy exercise in what I call the epidemic failure exercise. And so what Jonah's little monologue there reminds us of is another concept that contrast creates clarity. The way that we can create the kind of clarity that we want, so we're not just backing into our silver bullet, but we're consciously setting out to conceive of it, is to contrast it with the solutions that we, of which we least approve, the ones we deem to be epidemic failures. And so the, the prompt is, it's sort of like a Mad Libs kind of thing. It's like the epidemic failure in how audience, right? This is the first blank, how audience, second blank is solves a problem, is that they blank, that they false solution. But the real way to solve that problem is to true solution. And so I'll just say it straight through. The epidemic failure in how audience solves a problem is that they false solution. But the real way to solve the problem is to true solution. Okay. And so if we use Moneyball as an example, the epidemic failure in how baseball owners manage their teams is that they buy players. But the real way to manage your team is to buy runs. Right. Something like that. Right. And so so that all winds up being a good way to to break your idea down to two sentences. And then you could there are lots of ways to write a silver bullet. But the most obvious way from that exercise is the key to achieving goal is not to false solution, but rather true solution. And so so using the money ball example, it could be the key to winning at baseball is not to buy players, but to buy runs. Something like that. So, so that, that one just being like a quick little exercise that you could just brainstorm a bunch of epidemic failure statements and then see what kind of silver bullet you can get from it. That's a great way to do that because I mean, so many people will create a SaaS solution specifically around a problem. They don't like the way that something works in the industry. And right. so they set out to, to create a technical solution to fix that. Right. So I think that formula works really, really well. And uh, so somebody can look and, you know, why did I, I create this? Well, it's because the way that things were was terrible. And so here's yeah. the, the better way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just it just really points to what we might call a unique selling proposition as well. In that it all, I mean, what you said about people with a more technical background that sales and marketing might ultimately be foreign to them. But when it really comes down to it, Jeff, what is sales and marketing other than creating the context for somebody to want to buy something? 
That's exactly what it is. It, it's just creating the context. And so that's what we're ultimately doing with the contrast creates clarity kind of con- like concept or exercise is we're just juxtaposing our stuff with the stuff that we don't approve of and is leaving a hole in the marketplace. And that's what creates the context. And I like the the way that the the formula because it it leaves off with you know here's the the solution yeah and the next natural question it just draws somebody in this is what I, I love about the, your formula yeah is it, it draws somebody in because the, the next natural question is what do you mean by runs because it's something that you know I, I don't have a, a place to to put that right you know well, what does that mean it, explain it, it 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 draws them in. It draws them in because there's two ways to to leave uncertainty from what we say. There's a way that repels people. It's like, well, I, that doesn't even mean anything to me. So I'm just going right. to go over here and get hors d'oeuvres. And then there's the, I don't quite know what that looks like, but can you tell me what that looks like? And it can be a fairly subtle distinction. And that's where the context winds up being so important is that it helps to pave the way for their curiosity to be aroused because they're invested in, in, in solving the problem that they've now related to when we start with the problem as opposed to our stuff. Now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's different enough that, and everybody wants to be different, Yeah, but sometimes in, in creating statements like this, they, they want to get so different that they're using made up words or unfamiliar terms or things that, that sound like work. Right. Um, so Tell me a little bit about that. How do we how do we keep that within a frame of reference to to push that to the next level, where the 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 prospect or the person we're engaging with wants to to know more? One of the things that you're hitting on with your question, Jeff, that I very much appreciate you're bringing this up is the the prominence of jargon, of technical terms, of made up terms, and whatnot. We all get very precious, not only about the things we've invented or created, but how smart we are. And we want to come off as smart. But if we go back to that idea that effective communication values the recipient over the sender, we remember that our job isn't to sound smart. Our job is to empower others to believe in a different possibility for themselves. And so if we make that our religion, if we say the whole job of my language and my words is to empower you as the other person in this conversation. We're going to do away with all of that jargon, all those terms and use the kind of language that meets them where they're at. And the other thing I'll say about it is that silver bullets are most effective when they don't require any interpretation. As in what often happens when I teach people about this is they think that they can distill their silver bullet down to what essentially amounts to is it's one action that leads to one outcome, right? By buying runs, you will win at baseball. It's like one action, buying runs, one outcome, winning at baseball, right? But people will think that it's okay to, I mean, it's okay. Every, it's not meant to be dogmatic. You can do whatever you want. It's just a matter of what's most effective, right? And what I've seen for years now is the thing that's most effective is one action that leads to one outcome. And the reason why that becomes so important is that when you give them just the one thing to do, they don't need to interpret anything in that. It's like, oh, that's all I need to do is that one fundamental thing. And if you give them three actions to do, then they're like, oh, wait, they're not necessarily cognizant of this thought process, but unconsciously they're like, do I do all three of those things at once? Do I do them one at a time? Do I do them in a certain order? 
it waters down the potency of the idea because they're suddenly in interpretation mode rather than just being empowered by the possibility of what you just said. So it's very nuanced. It's super ninja level stuff. But that, the jargon, anything that leads people to not really get what you just said, it's going to impair your capacity to get the power of your idea across. That's that's really powerful. Just the, the difference in you know how much it draws somebody in, just the, the simplicity. Yeah. Because when you, you bring it down to, you know, you have more runs, you have more wins. And that's what it comes down to. That's something somebody can, can grab a hold of and say, yes, I can do that. Right. But if it's a list of, well, here are the five things you need to do to get some outcome. That sounds like work. You know, where do I start? Yeah. I, I don't know if I can do that. I have so many things I need to do now. Look at all these things. People love talking about their steps. They love when, like I work with a lot of public speakers and so many of them think that the point of a 45 minute keynote is just to cram their five step process down the throats of their audience. And they have this cute acronym and it's like, they think that the acronym is going to make it stickier, but the thing that makes it stickier is the belief that change is possible. Yes. That's what gets them invested. And so if you, if you go for that belief that change is possible, that's going to be what makes it stick. Yeah. That belief change is possible. That is empowering. Yeah. And, and it's, it's that empowerment. Does that lead to more opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like when, when I've had clients who worked out their silver bullet with me and then they're going and pitching their services to big name fortune 500 types of clients, right? I had one guy who we worked out in an hour what his messaging was for his new offer. And it was the kind of offer that a lot of people put out into the world, into, into corporate cultures and whatnot. It was about feedback, actually, giving better feedback. And so lots of people do that. It could very easily be commoditized, where it's just like, we'll just get the cheapest program. But when they asked him, how are you different? And he's able to say, the key to solving this problem is blank. That led to multiple, multiple five-figure deals for him. I mean, it was like, I mean, his testimonial talks about multiple five-figure deals. And so in, he, he shared the total number in the first six months in confidence. And this is right after the pandemic started. And so everyone was shaken. And so he wound up doing really, really well in those first months of the pandemic because he was equipped with such powerful messaging about it. And the reason why is like, how are you different? And he said, this is the recipe for better feedback. And it created that seed of possibility in the corporate officer's mind. And that's what got the work. Which makes sense. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times we work so hard to sound smart or to 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 have some some big elaborate plan yeah. when it's simplicity that really sells. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really does help to simple what simplicity does is it breaks it down in a way that people can see themselves doing it. And that just it that's possibility. That's what we've already talked about. That's what we want for the people we're marketing and selling to. And that's where all the value is, is in the action. It's not right. another concept of the model or anything else. It's, it's the action that leads to the outcome. Right. Right. I like to say one of the, when I'm giving a talk or something like that, I might end the talk with the larger idea that the value of our message isn't based on what we say, but rather what our audience does once we're done saying it. And that's, 
really another way of saying what you just said, Jeff, about action. It's just, it's about participating in the process. That's really good. So Neil, let's recap what we've talked about so far in the, the first three parts of creating an elevator pitch that gives somebody chills in under 20 seconds. So what we're starting with, because people are most likely to embrace a solution that's provided within the context of a problem they care about solving, what we start with is the problem as our audience relates to it or our prospective audience relates to it. And then we can then talk about how most people typically try to solve that problem so as to give them the sense, how am I ever going to solve this? Because those things don't work. And then the third part, of course, is a silver bullet. That's the part that instantly empowers them, that gives them that sense of, oh, I really like that, or that's really powerful. Or like I told in the story, everyone got super excited about what, what they need to do to be effective at communicating. And that's the part that gives people chills. And so that cues us up for the fourth part, which we haven't yet talked about. And the fourth part, we will come back. And that one is what uh, really answers the original question uh, about us and what do we do? And we'll come back to that right after this break. This week's episode is brought to you by Champion Leadership Group. Champion Leadership Group helps B2B SaaS entrepreneurs successfully cross Death Valley. Did you know that only one in 40,000 companies grows to 10 million in revenue? The rest either stay small or die along the trail. Champion Leadership Group is on a mission to solve that and help SaaS founders grow to 10 million and well beyond through a unique proven process that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported so that SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs achieve sustained, profitable growth, positively impact their community, and enjoy the freedom that they became an entrepreneur for in the first place. To learn more about accelerating SaaS growth and for free growth tools, visit championleadership.com. All right, we're back to SaaS Fuel, and my guest here is Neil Gordon, and we're talking about how to craft an elevator pitch that gives people chills in under 20 seconds. And so part number four, how do we answer that original question about us in a way that makes sense of what do you do? Now, this is going to be pretty open-ended, Jeff, in that at the heart of it, we just want to get across the most basic information. Now we've created the context, we've gotten people invested. That does give us some leeway. At the same time, there is a little bit of a copywriting exercise that we can do for ourselves, where those of us who have studied copywriting know are very much familiar with the difference between features and benefits, right? Features are just describing the things that you're, let's say we're talking about a SaaS solution, just describes the, the various things that your solution does, streamlines the intake process at a hospital, right? Right. Or does these various things, like these are the things that my software does. And those are features. But the what is of equal, if not greater value in describing what we do is the benefit of those features, the benefit of what our solution does. And so it winds up being a way of saying, this is what we do with our software, but then we add the words, so that, to the thing. So we do this, this is what we do, these are the features, so that 
and then describing the desired outcome of the person. So if I was doing it for my, my thing that ends the, the silver bullet is effective communication values the recipient over the sender, I might say something like, I am a messaging and communication consultant who helps entrepreneurs and thought leaders to make over their message so that people are lining up with their business cards, hungry to work with them and creating all sorts of unseen momentum in their business, something like that. And that's great because that, that brings it back to, you know, why should they care? Why so you understand, care? you know, what the, the problem is and it's, it's in their language and it is something that, uh, you know, the old way, the new way. And, and then it really comes back to why do they care about making that change? Right. You know, what is the, the, the benefit of seeing the world in your new way? Right. Exactly. And because you're outcome oriented, it still circles back to the other person. It circles back to everything. Everything you're doing in that elevator pitch is in service of the other person, even if you're still talking about yourself. And the, honestly, Jeff, when I think about it, I don't even like the term elevator pitch. It's, it's more popular term for this concept. And it's the name of entrepreneurs TV show and stuff like that. So elevator pitch is the more ubiquitous term, but because you have a silver bullet, because it's almost like a mini Ted talk in 20 or 30 seconds, it's more like an elevator speech, which is also a known term. I just like the term more because it is more aligned with the idea that your little speech is an act of service rather than a sales pitch. But all that's to say that it just winds up being an act of service in general, even if you are talking about yourself at the end. Which makes sense because that, that really brings full circle the alignment of it's about the recipient first, the, the receiver, not the sender. Right. So making it about them, you know, changing that 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 little change in terminology from pitch to speech. Right, exactly. And it just winds up being that larger sense that a single word could ultimately make the difference in whether people respond to something. And, and that, that often happens when I'm working with people on their silver bullets and we tweak one word and that just suddenly brings everything together. And it's just kind of it's kind of funny though, because it can be elusive for a while and then all of a sudden it just clicks. And then, then the, the, the way that they, the trail that they blaze in front of them becomes quite powerful. So it's really cool. It's cool to see. Yeah. I love that, uh, that empowering. Yeah. And it not only empowers the, the, the person that receives it, but you're really empowering through words that the entrepreneur to be able to explain what it is they do and, uh, and make it where it's relevant and, uh, and enticing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's, a, there's one other thought I'm having, Jeff, in that people have heard us go through this four-part structure, and there's a certain formality to it. And I want to remind everyone that if you're just having a conversation with a person and they ask, what do you do? It's like not like a presentation at a provisor's meeting or a BNI meeting or something like that. If, they're just, if you're just having a casual conversation, it's like, all right. I heard that guy Neil on on that Jeff show SAS Fuel, and I'm to do four parts, and it's this, 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 and this, and and that's going to be my speech, and I'm going to give that when somebody gives asks me that question, and it's going to come off pretty much as as hokey when when you launch into a speech like that, like just so formally and so linearly, 
And so my tip for people, if they're doing this in a more casual setting, is to be a bit more conversational about those first couple of parts. The first part is a problem. And so you might say something like, you know how when you're doing this or this, it's really hard to blah, 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 blah. And if they're going to, if they're, if they're willing to play along with like, yeah, of course, or yeah, sure. I've, I've heard of that. Or it's up to you to ask it in a way that's going to be accessible, of course. And, and you might've seen how people in the past, they've tried to do this or that in order to solve that problem, but it doesn't work. Right. It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't work at all. Well, and then you provide the silver bullet and then you could explain what you do. And so, so it winds up just being a more casual interactive way to start with the problem and move, create the context for that before moving into your solution so that you're not coming off as just giving a hokey speech. Because if no matter how good your languaging is, if you're super formal and, and polished in how you answer the question, then that's going to come off more than what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. Keeping it conversational. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So having a strong, like a deep understanding of, of what it is you do and how to explain it, yeah. but knowing it well enough that you can maneuver in conversation and it can be very natural in the way that it comes out, not stilted or memorized, but conversational because we are people after all. We are people after all. And you and I have talked about this on, in a separate context Yes, about how much of business is driven by relationships. And at the end of the day, no matter how big a company is you're pitching or whatever, the person making the decision is still a person. And the relationship you have with that person, whether it's a new one that you just had through an initial conversation or one that you've developed and had over time, it's still going to affect the outcomes that you have. And so if you make it feel like you're just doing a polished speech in an informal setting, it's not going to be congruent with this situation. And it's you're going to seem more snake oil salesman-y than you wanted to. And then the whole purpose of doing this kind of work is defeated. Right. Yeah. Building those genuine relationships. Yeah. I really appreciate that about you. And, and I know that's, that's your approach, not just here, but, uh, but in life. And so building those genuine relationships so. and connections. Yes. Well, not too long ago, Jeff, I, I retained the help of a marketing and sales company that was meant to help me to do more, generate more sales conversations. And after about a week or a week and a half of them just doing kind of automated email outreach on my behalf, I just put the kibosh on that. I'm just like, no, this, this, I, I felt slimy every day that it happened and I just couldn't stand it. And I just didn't want anything to do with it. And so, and that's not too long ago. I was like, I mean, this is, I'm about persuasion with heart. And that felt like the very opposite, but I guess I just needed to go through it for a week just to know that that wasn't a fit for me. And, but yeah, it, it just, it becomes important at every stage of all of this to remind ourselves that this is about people at the end of the day. Absolutely. And that, that's the easy thing to do is to automate it, but you can't automate relationships. Right. And, uh, and it is about people and it's the entrepreneurs that do the hard things that do the work and, and really, I think genuinely connect with people that have the greatest success. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly something to be said for people who are super aggressive and manipulative in the sense that they do get financial results. That's fine. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll do what they do. I do feel in the longer term, it's just not going to play out as well for them, especially now as, as we, as we respond to everything that's happened in the last couple of years, 
I feel that those who are super aggressive are just going to play themselves out of the marketplace eventually. Sure. Well, I've had a really good time talking with you today. would love to be able to share with the audience, you know, how can they learn more about you? How can they connect with you on social? You can, you can find me at neilkinhelp.com. That's my website where you get all sorts of tips and all of that. And it'll link to my entrepreneur articles and my media appearances where I drop silver bullets in my TV appearances and stuff. So you could see it in action and you could see what it looks like to actually talk like that fairly fluidly. And my handles on social media are Neil can help as well. And, and you can find me any of those places. And and I'd love to hear from you if you want to if you want to talk shop. That is great. Neilcanhelp.com and uh, at neilcanhelp on all social. Great conversation. Thanks again to Neil Gordon for coming on the show and sharing his insights and resources. You can learn more about Neil at neilcanhelp.com and follow him on all social media. Tune in next week for our conversation with Jim Kane. Jim has successfully founded and exited several SaaS companies. He is currently the founder and CEO of Red Chirp and has fantastic insights for you as a fellow SaaS founder. This is one that you won't want to miss. So until we meet again next week, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go! And I think we're good.